0: welcome to this special episode of the world according to arina shukerman our special very special series on global politics on the kg masterclass live arina shukerman is a us based national security and human rights lawyer as well as a renowned geopolitical analyst her writings and commentary have appeared in diverse us and international media and have been Translated to over a dozen languages. Every fortnight in the world, according to Irina Shukerman, we traverse the geopolitical landscape and delve into pressing international issues and gain insight from Irina's expert perspective. Welcome to the show once again, Irina.
1: Thank you. Always glad to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Irina. And it's always such a pleasure to get your perspective. Every two weeks, we gather and try and get a sense of all that has happened in the last two weeks. So, our first big topic, Irina, is uh, in terms of Davos. Uh, so, to understand Davos that just completed and its outcomes, how should we look at uh, a Davos uh, 2024 for our understanding this time?
1: Well, quite a bit of it uh, went far beyond the usual finance, economy, business focus. Uh, discussion, a lot of heavy politics. It seems that the financial minds behind this uh, gathering are increasingly looking to play a geopolitical role, and to turn Davos sort of into a preview session for more security-oriented events like the Munich uh, conference coming uh, coming up shortly, we definitely saw a lot of global discussions taking place on stage, a lot about regional developments, Israel-Hamas war, uh, the Red Sea uh, conflict, um, and of course even domestic U.S. issues and policy. Um, And this year it was a diverse uh, landscape with the NGOs joining um, politicians and big-name former uh, foreign policy uh, figures to add their perspectives to this uh, to uh, to the discussion.
0: Right, right. So,
1: in terms of you know solving real world's
0: problems, people say it's the world's elite who gather there. So, how should one look at that issue? Is it about actually solving problems? How much problems? Uh, in these com- in these complex times, you know, can uh, these elites actually, you know, get to solving it? Or it is more about uh, networking and connecting and, and talking uh, uh, about all this stuff. How do you look at it as an independent analyst, Irina?
1: Well, I, I think it's a mistake to believe that a small group of people, no matter how wealthy, powerful and well-connected, can completely control everything that goes on because at the end of the day the the decision makers are the countries and their policies and while a lot can happen in terms of voicing um voicing different perspectives at these events certainly networking never hurts and uh it can certainly facilitate um issues at the end of the day um there is an interplay between these elites and much larger Forces that they're striving to join or even surpass in some respects, but that they're always also, at some point, they're sort of on the sideline of these greater discussions. Um, I do think that the top world players understand the importance of having major platforms and having an opportunity to present uh, their scripts Uh, to diverse audience, in this case, the business community and the financial minds, because they understand that the the business risk, the geopolitical risk of investments and of uh, uh, funding goes hand in hand with politics and these problems. So to that extent, uh, this art of persuasion is certainly playing a new and growing role but is it a full substitute for this internal behind the scenes, scenes and very complex processes and deliberations i don't believe that and i think i i know there's a lot of conspiracy-minded people out there but it's just the processes of governance and relations between countries and countries and non-state actors are just too complex to be resolved uh quickly by some uh, shadowy group of uh, individuals not all of whom by the way are as expert in politics as they believe themselves to be and the fact that they're often inviting who they're inviting is a is a is often uh you know uh, it seems to be more about popularity and gaining um clout than about understanding necessarily who the real players are so they, they they give platforms to who to the people who are um, headliners of the media, but not necessarily everyone who is really taking part in in these processes. So um, we, we can see that a lot of hot button issues uh, catch the eye, but uh, catch the attention of these players. But just as important are the smaller issues that never get get uh, front stage. And uh, I think the very fact uh, that what is not being discussed shows the limitations of these gatherings and whoever organizes them
0: absolutely absolutely so as long as these gatherings happen uh, at least some some talk happens but the world also watches what exactly is happening and how much impactful it is in terms of solving their problems let's move on to uh, try and understand another problem that is happening the houthi attacks uh, you know and and the uh, the death of U.S. soldiers. Three soldiers died in Jordan. War escalation fears everywhere. In the last few days, you know, Houthi attacks on India, Middle East corridor. All those things happening at the same time. Uh, world is watching very care, uh, you know, closely if this war escalates. Biden says they will, they have their own way of dealing with it. Make make sense of it all for us to understand. I'm a bit fearful of at what what way the things are going. You know, even though I am in India at the moment.
1: Well, yes, uh, I mean, look, these events have touched on India quite, quite a bit. Not only has it tankers been attacked, we've seen pirates join the join, uh, uh, you know, Somali pirates join this extravaganza of uh, of action in the Red Sea, and we've seen even attempted hijackings of vessels by these pirates not even uh the hookies and also the uh, indian naval forces played a role in putting out a, a fire after another ship was uh, attacked so in addition to defending their own interests india is also playing a vital role in um in terms of a uh, coalition defensive coalitions and uh just as essentially um, assisting its allies so so it's uh, despite the fact that some of the Action is taking place elsewhere. It affects the world, it definitely affects the world. And what's scary about the situation with Jordan is that Iran and its proxies are basically throwing the gauntlet to the United States and daring it to take action uh, and just to see how it will react to these escalations. It's not that this is new, uh, US troops have been attacked many times before, over 180 times in Iraq and Syria, but Jordan is a new horizon and, um, you know, Jordan is a monarchy, it hasn't had these direct tensions and confrontations with Iran, but Jordan in the past few years have has issued a number of warnings about its concerns of Iranian presence of attacks by drones in its um, territory. And I don't think that the US or others paid that much attention to Iran's expansion into that area. And shortly before these incidents, Jordan and various groups in Syria exchanged um, uh, Jordan struck into Syria several times due to the um, due to the uh, uh, targeting by drug dealers connected to terrorist organizations uh, of captagon right into Jordan, which is a, presents a national security threat. So so there was definitely something building up to, to this issue. The You know, these deaths of these um, American soldiers are not the first. There were people, there were deaths during the attacks in Iraq and Syria as well. Uh, and there were injuries as well. But this is the first one that was clearly designed to be lethal and it you know and there was an issue with the misidentifying a drone uh, as a friendly drone when it entered the territory and uh, it caused all sorts of repercussions for Jordan as a host country to a major American base and uh, Jordan's role as a host of the base has grown the last few years as well because US has had to relocate some of its troops from Doha to Jordan and to other locations, so it has actually become more visible, uh, though not many people realize that it certainly doesn't get as many headlines. And it's uh, Jordan is one of the more critical um, partners in the region, so the fact that Iran is now reaching as far uh, as that location, which has been considered pretty, you know, uh, kind of, you know, a neutral ground, so to speak. Uh, this this shows that for sure Tehran is being emboldened, and the slow U.S. reaction um, uh, to this has also given it no, no favors. Uh, U.S. reacted by first imposing additional sanctions on Iran, which are not likely to be fully enforced, let's face it, and Iran seems to be unfazed by additional sanctions, and many of them are limited and symbolic. And it has also promised unknown targeted strikes but it's unlikely to strike within Iran's territory so we can expect that the. US will probably retaliate against some of the militias and one of them has uh actually claimed it's freezing its attacks on the U.S troops uh, to avoid these strikes but you know, I'm not entirely sure what these guys were expecting, and whether this really would change U.S. minds, you, know, uh, uh, you know, after um, after what happened. Because it it has to have show some sort show of force. But the way it's all playing out, I think it's sending very mixed messages, and I don't think it sends a very serious signal to Iran and its proxies. And I, I think they're kind of, uh, you know, playing. It's a game of chicken that's very dangerous.
0: Right, right. But uh, what about the U.S.? Because uh, elections are uh, very much there and and they will have to also look at that part of the messaging. Though nobody wants an escalation, even Biden has said so, uh, if I understand. But I want to understand how practical it is to look at. Will there be pressure from other angles? Suppose if there is more attack, what would they do? Because this is... Uh, The situation is not so great at the moment
1: not at all and i think it's a mistake to keep repeating that us does not want a war or an escalation because us is not pushing for war or an escalation and making these defensive statements is uh, uh, that are almost apologetic a makes us look guilty for doing something that it hasn't it hasn't initiated any you know, unwarranted acts of aggression. And, and second, it gives signals to Iran that it can continue pushing and pushing because U.S. will continue bending over backwards to avoid a confrontation. And I, I, I just don't think, I think it, that sort of communication only invites more acts of aggression at a critical time. So, you know, uh, tra- uh, Biden is already very heavily down in the... Fo- uh, in the balls i'm not sure what he's thinking in terms of the elections outcome if he wants to hand the election uh to donald trump that's how he will do it because certainly under trump um there were certainly issues with handling iran it was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but it was better and when necessary trump ultimately did take decisive action under pressure from his advisors and biden just does not seem to be willing to do that and certainly taking his time
0: absolutely we'll have to keep watching it was tower 22 that was attacked but the us is also in a catch-22 position so we'll have to see how many options it has got got as we go by but you see the war is in a way the uh, the situation in the Middle East is entangling more and more countries like India uh, attack on Indian in Indian assets down there, passing through the Red Sea, and now is this Iran-Pakistan air strikes. It has reached even till that level. Help us understand what is this story? Is there a real story behind this story that it's, we know about?
1: It's the best political theater, the the most blatant, but at the same time the most effective political theater I have seen. Uh, in a very long time and I think its effectiveness is due only to the fact that for whatever reason the majority of the international community just does not seem to be familiar with the specifics of Iran-Pakistan relations and if they were familiar with that they would know that Iran and Pakistan are extremely close cooperative parties on a number of issues, most specifically security, and even more specifically than that, the Baluchistan issue. Baluchis are an ethnic minority, heavily discriminated in both countries. They re- And both the Sistan province in Iran, where they live, and Baluchistan in Pakistan, they are two of the poorest provinces um, in both uh, states. There's a lot of criminal activity, drug trafficking, but also a lot of uh, discrimination, identity Issues uh, Iran has been, uh, in, you know, oppressing uh, these groups along with many other ethnic, uh, ethnically distinct nations uh, within its territory. And there's been a an back and forth between Baluchi fighters and Iranian government agents, uh, military targets, uh, police officers, and so forth. So for decades, uh, Iran and Pakistan have worked together. On the specific issue, and in recent years, they've uh, worked uh, at joint airstrikes in, in each other's territories, especially in Pakistan, against these um, against these uh, groups. Uh, so when, so after after Iran uh, failed to prevent the ISIS attack uh, on its land, supposedly after a US warning which iran denies but i don't know why us would you know make something like that up it's certainly a rare gesture on their part uh we don't usually cooperate w- with iran uh but uh, uh uh after that it needed to uh, to show strength and if you look at its airstrikes um everywhere it went they had nothing to do with isis at all uh in iraq they went after some Kurdish oil businessmen and uh, tar- civilian targets like airports near U.S. Consulate, nothing to do with ISIS would be located in Syria. It targeted a few symbolic objects, you know. And Assad is a is a key ally for uh, for Iran. And uh, in Pakistan, it went after a military militant base that would have normally been the subject of this joint. Airstrikes, uh, the Baluchi base, didn't go after any Pakistani targets. Uh, So so I think anyone who understands how both of these countries uh, work diplomatically, they would understand that the entire thing from start to finish was coordinated, including the fake diplomatic fallout, which was restored within days, almost immediately, with big pronouncements of mutual cooperation on this very issue. And initial backpacking and <laughs> immediate attacks on Pakistanis in Iran and all of that by the same Baluchis. I mean I, I I find it incredible how anyone could interpret it other than what it was a completely coordinated action that made both countries look strong to their inter- domestic audiences and You know, and created this element of unpredictability in an already unstable environment, but which was fully controlled by both parties jointly and with full agreement.
0: Indeed, indeed a theater and a lot of drama happening, a lot of action and drama happening. And now let's look at talking of Pakistan. It accused, you know, India of assassinating two citizens. Earlier, they seem to have learned something from maybe canada even the u.s but that was related to you know uh, the khalistani thing and a lot but what about pakistan accusing india of assassinating two season citizen-, citizen what's the story here along with the story of you know the court ruling on imran khan just a few days ahead of elections
1: uh where well, it, it certainly looks like pakistan is trying to you know pick a political fight probably riding on the wave of negative publicity about the khalistanis but you know india has also previously revealed that pakistan that some of these groups in pakistan are engaged in gang warfare some of them are outright terrorists and you know it's not clear where and how they get killed but it's very easy to love these accusations and claim well they killed somebody in Canada. They tried to kill someone in the U.S. It's much easier for them to do that next door, you know. Why not? But I saw that the story got very little traction, so I think most people just don't find it credible on the basis of whatever evidence uh, there is. Quite frankly, in light of the upcoming elections in India, I think there's much bigger fish to fry than you know, starting you know, starting uh, some shadow war inside. Pakistan and also, you know, to be honest, uh, the timing is really uh, bizarre. You know, um, usually these things happen when, um, when there's some incident, when there's an aftermath of some major operations, or if there's a, an ongoing, you know, confrontation. But it's uh, it seems to be uh, the pub- publicity around it is a little bit uh, expedient at the moment. As for Imran Khan, certainly quite a story. He was first sentenced for to ten years after supposedly revealing state secrets, and then he got another sentence handed down just now for corruption for another fourteen years. I don't know whether what will ultimately happen in terms of appeals and whether he'll be able to get these sentences run concurrently. Um, but it seems to me very much. Uh, in line with the, with the Pakistani political scene, where most, if not all, of their um, minist- uh, prime ministers ended up in prison or ousted or both at some point, part of at some point in their lives, which begs the question: Why anyone even bothers <laughs> trying to end up in this position? Um, clearly, there's a military factional, uh, you know, push. Uh, to pressure Imran Khan's party, it has been seen as close to Russia and China, and uh, I-, I-, I think much of the military is concerned about losing uh, potential for for aid from the U.S. and some of the other actors um, in the sphere. Um, uh, they have not, at the same time, really abandoned their cooperation with China and Russia, and especially China, which which who is um which is a big investor but they have taken uh measures to make it less obvious and apparent and um uh, stayed away from outright visits and high level diplomatic um showings and i think imran khan very very obviously rubbed all of that in everyone's face in uh kind of got many people concerned about the the diplomatic course he was taking and he was playing up very much a populist card which is what got him elected in the first place but I think he was also presenting a headache to the more traditional military elements within the country and he was just a little bit unpredictable and uh, they just I think they're looking to sideline him and his followers uh, for the long term
0: right right (laughs) Arena. a lot of as I said a lot of things to understand and a lot of things are so election related that suddenly all these things will vanish and much more different things all the problems will vanish everything else will vanish and a lot of you know things will get settled down a lot of things around elections now let's talk when talking of elections in Pakistan let's talk about elections in the US there are a lot of things happening the primaries in the. US, border security issue, how does, how is that, Trump has accused Iran, uh, Taiwan of uh, stealing U.S. jobs, all these things coming together, how is it going to impact the uh, the future of Ukraine and Israel? It, let's look at in that direction. Help us understand these issues in terms of the issues that this election itself is throwing up.
1: Well, on the one hand, you have Biden with a completely failed foreign policy who is causing havoc in the markets by doing things like poising U.S. enormously successful LNG export uh, program and various mega projects, particularly important for its relations with Europe, but also increasingly Southeast Asia, China, and uh, and other countries uh, that are uh, benefiting from U.S. Um, gas exports. Uh, on the other hand, Trump is making... The sort of statements that U.S. adversaries just are very happy to grab. I mean, the whole thing with Taiwan is absolutely ridiculous. If anything, Taiwan's cooperation with the U.S. is creating jobs in U.S., uh, Taiwan has jointly started opening additional chip-making factories in the U.S., but the problem is, U.S. has no qualified, <laughs> does not have enough qualified workers and engineers to take those jobs. This is why U.S. has been importing a lot of workers from India and other countries, and precisely why, up until recently, a lot of the chip-making capabilities were being built in, uh, you know, outside the country in 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 Southeast Asia mostly. So. Uh, these these statements play well with the public, which mostly does not follow these news very closely and assumes that this is the case. But it's just not factually accurate at all. And Taiwan is actually helping us in uh, in in terms of potential for gain jobs. We just don't have what it takes to uh, to grab them. We are going to have to import those workers, and these cheap uh, breakthroughs are essential. Uh, in 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 what is happening, there's already concern that China is catching up and looking, finding ways of um, overcoming, and they're buying up uh, various uh, things that they shouldn't due to um, poor export control um, in the U.S. and other Western countries. So, uh, so we are facing a big problem, and these sort of comments are not. Not helpful, but they are helping boy his uh Trump's popularity in the polls, and he's leading quite uh far uh, among the Republican party. And uh, you know, with Biden uh losing, losing uh number uh, uh followers over various issues, it's not clear where it's all going to go, but there is another element which is rfk junior who was allegedly approached by trump to be his vice president and allegedly refused to do so he seems to be gaining some traction as a third party candidate not nearly enough to actually succeed but enough to siphon off voters, and he is very likely to siphon off at least some of the voters from trump uh and his politics seem to be more similar to trump than they are to biden so this is Probably some, at least some of the demographic that we can count on to uh, be a little bit of a dark spoiler, course in any uh, potential rematch between the two candidates. At the same time, Trump is making really bizarre decisions to tell the House Republicans to hold off on any potential immigration border security deal with Senate after. Everyone claiming that it's a top priority and emergency and a catastrophe and a crisis, which they are, by the way, very much, much so, a huge drain on the economy and security mechanisms, huge backlog of cases, you know, up to a decade ahead, huge security problem, uh, huge humanitarian problem, uh, you know, every angle you can imagine, it's it's bad. But now the Republicans are reluctant to take any deal that comes from the administration and the Senate because they feel that uh, if Trump wants to campaign on this issue then he'll be more successful if there is no deal by the time the election arrives. I think that decision will backfire tremendously. Uh, the bill as of now is still tied to the U- um, israel ukraine taiwan aid uh, but now there's a potential for a new Uh, a new uh, separate bill from the Senate, which uh, Speaker Johnson said that they could still split inside the House. So for now, the Republicans in in Congress have um, small but valid leverage, uh, and they can uh, continue to hold this entire process, all of these issues hostage, just because of how the politics are, meanwhile the tensions, between state authorities and federal authorities in Texas are ongoing. Uh, Texas has ignored the Supreme Court decision that allows uh, the federal authorities to continue uh, bringing in and vetting the migrants claiming to be asylum seekers. Uh, Texas designated it to be a domestic issue uh, due to the fact that once these people cross the border, they become uh, a security uh, threat from the Uh, that uh, government perspective there so we are not sure what's going to happen next but so far the standoff has continued and uh, there's been various efforts to come to a political decision all of that is uh, you know problematic but you know honestly I think uh, Republicans don't want to give a migration win to Biden at this critical moment but at the same time they're not looking particularly good since the actual problem um, from a security standpoint continues to persist while they are battling it out
0: absolutely absolutely us has its hands already full with uh with ukraine the middle east and now you know uh with their own soldiers getting killed in middle east you know and that their security issues amidst this blinken is in africa he is touting investments offering u.s security support instead of Wagner one more front opening uh, of competition at that in that part of the world also Irina there is a lot of talk about the uh, North Korea preparing for a major attack what does that mean is it happening is it not happening or is it just you know talk and some sort of fear Uh, as I said earlier I'm quite fearful with the way a lot of voices across the world uh is happening even in Ukraine you see the war is going in a different Direction There is talk of corruption there, and there is also mm-hmm. the talk that there is a uh, the, the, that the government might there fire a senior military general, which will again lead to further problems because of his closeness with the, uh, with the allies there.
1: So, let's start with Africa. I think that's the case of too little, too late. Uh, we have seen three countries break off from ECOWAS, these are the junta led Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger. Um, US uh offered them uh the assist security assistance in instead of Wagner militia's militia that's propping them up. But Wagner is on its way out of Africa because uh, Russia has been restructuring its involvement and basically bringing in more direct formal military contingents. So, all of that is kind of old news, and meanwhile. Um, You know, all of these countries are anti-Western, they're being propped up by the Russians and they're ideologically aligned with the Russians. Even though there are some internal tensions going on, with some political parties uh, not happy with each other, but the US does not seem to be exploiting these political elements. It's making a very, very straightforward argument, whereas a little bit of lateral uh, maneuvering is needed. It has also tried to boost uh, investments in angola which has been a uh, a traditional russian sphere of influence Uh, the problem with angola it's close to portugal which is despite openly pro-american positioning is actually also quite close to russia china and iran so i'm not entirely sure whether us will win anything politically there's been an effort also uh to address issues with drc to manage to both uh, uh to manage investments there to create some potential for access to rare earth minerals uh china has made very substantial investments there and grc has been complicated there's uh, they are on the verge of a possible war with rwanda over the issue of alleged uh alleged militants and terrorist groups operating in the vicinity. US has tried to mediate that conflict diplomatically, but the Congo government is refusing to engage in direct talks with Rwanda. Uh, so US has, you know, while it's been trying to step up to the plate to be more active, to be to prevent conflict open conflict from breaking out and to try to stake out its own territory in terms of challenging china's influence so far the success has been limited or mixed at at best um with north korea you seems to have zero control over the situation other than watching and issuing warnings uh north korea has been escalating with increasing success it has been testing out new weapons and it has been um is communicating in various ways that it's preparing for a conflict. Whether that conflict is going to be directly with South Korea and Japan or in support of China-led operations uh, against whoever is not yet clear, but the fact that they are very much moving in that direction is indicated not only by this increasingly frequent and successful tests but by the dismantling of communications mechanisms with the intelligence apparatus in South Korea, which is never a good sign. Once the communications are done, um, intercepting uh, communications and uh, uh, de-escalating through communications becomes increasingly more difficult. The fact that Russia's foreign minister also said that South accused South Korea and the US of preparing for war is also not a good sign because Russia, China, and North Korea are clearly allies. China has previously warned Japan and South Korea that Russia and North Korea would join them in any confrontation over Taiwan. And Russia tends to project a lot its own. Uh, mechanisms it frequently accuses NATO of trying to uh, attack its borders and and so and destabilize the country. So the fact that it's now accusing South Korea is the primary sign that Russia and North Korea are preparing for some sort of uh, escalation. How that would look like, we don't know, but probably would start with some sort of a provocation intended to uh, smear the other side as the aggressor and certainly russian and north korean weapons exchange exchanges have been fruitful there's talks of putin's visit to north korea in the coming weeks we don't know whether that will actually happen but the very fact that it's even being discussed is in itself uh, you know a major major distinction from the rela- the two countries relationships in the previous years um when, uh, yeah, uh, and what was the last question that you asked about, about
0: yeah, yeah, about Blinken, a uh, Blinken in Africa in terms yes. of security? North Korea, in yes,
1: yes, Blinken, North Korea, and what was the third thing? And,
0: yeah, I think about the yeah, you, Ukraine and Israel already, you know. Uh, corruption charges. Oh, well, it's Europe,
1: corruption charges. Yes, the Ukrainian issue. So actually, 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 that the fact that Ukraine has been openly going after corrupt officials is a good thing. And a recent um a recent study showed that Ukraine actually jumped twelve points in on the anti-corruption index. So it actually has made significant improvements overall uh i mean obviously nobody wants to see those sorts of stories during wartime in particular but the fact that they are actually exposing um these incidents shows that they are serious about it more concerning however is the story about um the illusionist potential removal it has been in the works for some time there's been significant disagreements over various matters and communications Uh, There are a couple of candidates close to the administration that are being floated, and these articles I think are seen as a sign of you know, of um, a test of public reaction, particularly in the United States, over what would happen. My sense is, while Zelusny is very popular in Ukraine, um, you know, if the relationship between the command, the commanding, the head of the command, military command, and the and, and the president is so poor that it uh, that this sort of talk is becoming public news, it's probably better to go with somebody who is not going to attract that sort of um, negative attention. And as for the United States, I don't believe that they ultimately care specifically about who is in charge of what, as long as the general trend of the war goes in a, a positive direction. And despite all the negative... Um, Concerns given uh, about the impact of the shortage of aid over Ukraine and its operations—they have been, you know, using what they do have uh, to the fullest extent and making surprising progress in some areas even now. So I think that the fighting spirit is still very much there, and I think um, while the U- short the shor- shortcomings in the USA will be very difficult to overcome. I do think other countries are trying to come up with alternative solutions. And I think eventually there is no shortage of aid that the Biden administration could give because what they have been given so far, for the most part, have not been brand new weapons, but the weapons already in storage. And there's a huge arsenal of tanks that the U.S. could be uh, giving giving them that they have not. I think this is there's a little bit of a political game over the elections um, that's being played, and frankly, there are ways of going around this congressional impasse um, if the U.S. wants to. So both political sides are to blame for what is happening. I do think the concerns that this could give Russia more uh, impetus for additional. Aggression elsewhere is not unwarranted. Putin uh, visited Kaliningrad recently, which indicates a potential for, you know, a potential test uh, about, uh, you know, um, a certain escalation that could lead to provocations in Lithuania, uh, testing grounds against NATO states. I think Russia is counting on the fact that. In the event of an attack on a small NATO member, depending on the scale of the attack, uh, NATO will be reluctant to fully mobilize because they do not want a major confrontation. And I think they're counting on being able to pick off NATO members one by one if they start with smaller, weaker uh, countries. You know, I don't think they'll start with a well-armed country like poland or germany for instance but i especially since german germans uh, have been trying very hard to maintain some level of relations with them but countries like lithuania estonia latvia i think have a fair game and have very significant uh russian populations there anyway
0: right right Irina. there is a lot of things happening in the world and along with that a lot of confusion also and thank you very much for making sense of it all all the confusion every two weeks for all of us with this it's a wrap on this very special edition of the world according to arena sugarman on the kj masterclass live thank you so much once again
1: thank you appreciate it so always